0: Is an omen. Not just talking about the movie The Omen. That's a different creature entirely. An omen is an event or happening that you take as a sign of something yet to come. It's believed to be a bad omen if a black cat crosses your path or if it rains on your wedding day. Thank you, Alanis Morissette. Omens generally get a bad rap. That's probably because a lot of them predict bad stuff, at least according to superstition. But the interpretation of omens really depends on the country and culture. What's considered an ominous sign in one place might mean a lifetime of good luck somewhere else. Oscar Wilde once wrote that there is no such thing as an omen. Destiny does not send us heralds. She is too wise or too cruel for that. An interesting omen that I can definitely bring to the table would be what happened at the Silver Dollar Bridge in Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 1967 during Christmas weekend. The bridge collapsed, sending 40 plus people to their watery grave. But before that event happened, there were strange sightings of a winged creature with red eyes that stood upright, built like a man, But had the appearance of a giant moth With a man's body And would show up at different spots in Point Pleasant And there were a rash of UFO sightings And then people encountering men in black Telling them that they had seen nothing To ignore what they had seen Or threatening them to not discuss what they had witnessed And everywhere that this mothman creature popped up And people were terrified They would see it It would fly after them, it would chase them, it would show up on the Silver Dollar Bridge. It would show up in town hovering over a building late at night. People saw it out at the TNT Depot, which was an old munitions depot that was used by the United States military to house dynamite and other various explosive devices and weapons. And he would show up there near that swamp area by the TNT Depot and chase hunters and chase Couples trying to find a place to canoodle And they would all go to the town And tell their story of what they encountered with the Mothman The Mothman acted as a harbinger of sorrow If you really peel the layers back from that onion As an omen, per se, of something bad about to happen Which was the Silver Dollar Bridge collapsing I don't know if the Mothman's communication was telepathic And he was speaking to people through Thoughts, and they thought they were going mad, so they ran from it. But one fact still stands. After the bridge collapsed, the sightings of the Mothman ceased. And that is what brings us to this week's episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. I will be discussing omens, bad omens, omens that could mean good luck, banshees, and dark watchers. Please hold for an important message from one... Of my amazing sponsors.
1: Unparalleled insider access. Get it all. Introducing the Sirius XM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. VIP. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through NUGS.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer details apply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in
0: Canada. Now, I was talking earlier about the Mothman Festival. Actually, the Mothman Encounter in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Every year, there has been a festival held in honor of those who perished during that horrible incident that occurred in 1967. It is the Mothman Festival. It's more of a paranormal slash sci-fi festival, and it's a chance for all of us to come together, have fun meeting and greeting, talking, answering questions in a Q&A. We get to work with and have presented some of my own documentaries, those that I've taken part in producing and or writing for. Or just selling my books at my own booth at the Mothman Festival. Unfortunately, the last two years, uh, the, Mothman has, the festival has had to be put on hold due to the pandemic and two years of uh, COVID fear. So with the mention of Mothman as being a harbinger of sorrow, I had to mention the actual festival that takes place every September... In Point Pleasant, West Virginia It's looking good this year It may actually happen again So I'll keep you posted on that If it does in fact come up again I can give you the date and times And hopefully the date and time For which I will be appearing and speaking Now on to Banshee Irish Bean sidhe, Scots Gaelic Would call the Banshee A Bansith Woman of the Fairies, that's what Bansith means, supernatural being in Irish and other Celtic folklore, whose mournful keening or wailing, screaming or lamentation at night was believed to foretell the death of a member of the family or the death of the person who heard the spirit shriek. In Ireland, Banshees were believed to warn only families of pure Irish descent. The Welsh counterpart, the... Gwarch Ye Rabin, Witch of Rebin visited only families of old Welsh stock. The Scottish novelist Sir Walter Scott mentioned belief in a kind of banshee or household spirits in certain highland families in his Letters of Demonology and Witchcraft from 1830. Sometimes, this is how she's described as looking, she has long, streaming hair, and wears a grey cloak over a green dress, and her eyes are red from continual weeping. She may be dressed in white with red hair and a ghastly complexion, according to first-hand account by Anne Lady Fan Shui, and her memoirs Lady Wild and Ancient Legends of Ireland provides another description. The size of the banshee is another physical feature that differs between regional accounts, though some accounts of her standing unnaturally tall are recorded. The majority of the tales that describe her height, state, and banshee stature as short, anywhere between one foot to four feet tall, her exceptional shortness often goes alongside the description of her as an old woman, though it may also be intended to emphasize her state as a fairy creature. In O'Brien's Irish English Dictionary, the entry for Sith Brag states, Hence being Sighai, plural Nenya Slig, She fairies or women fairies, creagiously supposed by the common people to be so affected to certain families that are, they hear to sing mournful lamentations about their houses by night. Whenever any of the family labors under a sickness which is to end by death, but no families which are not of an ancient and noble stock are believed to be honored with this fairy privilege. Sometimes the Banshee assumes the form of some sweet singing virgin of the family who died young and has been given the mission by invisible powers to become the harbinger of something coming some doom to her mortal kindred, or she may be seen at night as a shrouded woman crouched beneath the trees, lamenting with veiled face, or flying past in the moonlight crying bitterly. The cry of the spirit is mournful beyond any other sounds on earth, and betokens certain death to some member of the family whenever it is heard in the silence of the night. Most though not all surnames associated with banshees have the O or the Mick and Mac prefix that is surnames of goidlic origin indicating a family native to the insular Celtic lands rather than those of the Norse Anglo-Saxon or Norman. Accounts reach as far back as 1380 to the publication of the Catherium theor, Hail Baghai, Triumphs of Torlo by Sean MacCrath. Mentions of banshees can also be found in Norman literature of that time. The Ua Briane Banshee is thought to be named Ebel and the ruler of 25 other banshees who would always be at her attendance. It is possible that this particular story is the source of the idea that the wailing of numerous banshees signifies the death of a great person. In some parts of Leinster, she is referred to as the Bean Shoyante, the Keening Woman, whose wail can be so piercing that it can shatter glass. In Scottish folklore, a similar creature is known as the Bean Knife, or Ben Nyhagchain, Little Washerwoman or Nyhaeg, Na Hayath, Little Washer at the Ford, and is seen washing the blood-stained clothes, or armor, of those who are about to die. In Welsh folklore, a similar creature is known as Sire Hayath. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, Narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed, that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released, It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. I'm really happy I decided to discuss this during this week's episode with me being part Irish Scots. So, uh, stories about Irish folklore, the myth of the Banshee, and those are all pretty true to heart for me and for my family. And, and tales that have been passed down to me from my grandmother and great-aunt and various other relatives who have experienced strange and supernatural encounters... Of all the mysterious phenomena believed to issue from the realm of the supernatural, the most characteristically Irish is undoubtedly the Banshee. The fairy woman, considered as the wildest and grandest of all the Irish superstitions, she was generally depicted as being a small, wizened old woman, attired in loose white clothing, and combing her long hair. Other forms attributed to her were... That of a were that of a beautiful young girl, a bird with a human face, and occasionally a hare or a large moth, which brings us back to the Mothman. Considering that the Banshee is uh, also a harbinger of sorrow, a warning, foretelling an omen of impending doom, much like the Mothman. For the most part, the Banshee seem to favor keening in the Gaelic, wringing her hands and uttering the most doleful cries. She was widely accepted as being an omen of death, if not to those who heard her, then to some close relative or neighbor. The Derry Journal, which is D-E-R-R-Y, from Derry County, Ireland, which my first name is Derry, D-E-R-R-Y, I go by Neil, N-E-A-L, because it's easier to recognize, understand, and not poke fun at. I don't have to hear dairy cow, hi-ho the dairy-o, or dairy Air. So I just stick with Neil, but my first name is Derry. Not so very long ago, Derry had a strong tradition of acceptance of the Banshee myth. Most local people in Dairy also believed that the appearance of crows, the howling of a dog, or the screeching of a cat outside a sick person's house would herald the arrival of the dreaded wailing specter. There are a number of stories which continue to be told in some areas of this town concerning experiences with banshees. Indeed, there is still a dispute among some other residents as to whether or not one particular apparition, fondly referred to as the wee woman in white, was, in fact, a banshee. Whatever the contention concerning the wee white woman's spectral status, other local stories lay claim to authentic banshee encounters. One such story relates to an incident dating back to the late 1940s. It occurred in Fulton Place. Once a side street running off Old Howard Street and backing onto one of the graveyards at St. Columba's Church... The long tower. One winter an elderly resident of the street became suddenly ill and was confined to his bed. A few days later some black crows landed in the street in front of the house and began to pick up straps of bread that had been thrown out for scavenging birds. Some visitors to the house immediately rushed out and chased the crows away. Later that night the old man's condition deteriorated and a priest was summoned to administer the last rites. Sometime after, one of the younger visitors heard a knock on the back door. She asked if anyone else had heard it, but was told no. She heard the knock again. The time followed by a low moaning sound. An old woman sitting opposite noticed her startled expression and instinctively told her to go to the door, exclaiming, he'll have no rest until the knock is answered. The young girl went to the door and opened it. All at once, she screamed and collapsed in a faint. The people inside came rushing out to her to see if she was okay. She had come too, obviously distressed. The people came rushing out to her where she was lying on the ground in an obviously distressed state. They brought her back inside, calmed her and confronted her, then asked, What happened? the girl exclaimed. When I opened the door and looked across the yard, I could see an old hag-like woman with long white hair and a long white dress. She appeared to be crying and moaning and wringing her hands. She began to come towards the door. I screamed and she just seemed to vanish. The old man passed away later that night. As far as all the people present on that occasion were concerned, the house had been visited by a banshee. Another story from around the same area and the same period was recounted by a resident of Bogside. It involved her grandfather and one of his sons. The grandfather had been suffering painfully from what he thought was a toothache. For several days, while discussing with his wife about visiting a dentist, he happened to mention that he had seen a large white sheet hanging from one of their neighbor's upstairs windows. His wife, knowing the particular neighbor well, was very surprised to hear that she was apparently drying her washing in front of the street. Next day, her son approached her, somewhat agitated and recounted a strange experience from the previous night. He had heard a peculiar mournful wail coming from near the bottom of the street. When he looked, he noticed what appeared to be a young child sitting under a windowsill crying he walked down the street and there sitting hunched up under this under the windowsill was a small wrinkled old woman shriveled and dried up with age she was moaning inconsolably he put out his hand to her but she immediately shied away stood up and ran off he was startled by how Small, she appeared, and his father was beyond any kind of medical help at this point. A few nights after the incident, he died. To this day, the family remain adamant that their grandfather saw his own burial shroud two nights before. And the banshee encountered by his son foreshadowed that impending death. Now, I'm going to share with you uh, an encounter my great-aunt had in my grandmother's home in southern Ohio she was a young girl making a sandwich in the kitchen she was about 16 years of age and she heard a shriek from behind her and turned and saw an old woman wringing her hands with pale blue eyes and crying, screaming and shrieking. Only my great-aunt could hear it. My grandmother walked into the kitchen because my great-aunt screamed. She saw the banshee but could not hear it. My great-aunt, scared to death at this point, backed herself into a corner, and said, in the name of Jesus, please leave me. And the banshee shot straight up into the ceiling of the home, and out the roof of the house. That next day, their grandmother passed away. And the grandmother was complaining hours before her death that she could see and hear an old woman outside the window shrieking and reaching for her. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors
1: biggest podcast of the week on the free iHeartRadio app now number 1 for podcasting
0: and this episode just keeps getting weirder in regards to omens and foretelling and could these have something to do with an omen of some sort or is it just a supernatural anomaly that has yet to have been to have been placed anywhere The Dark Watchers, humanoid phantoms that haunt the hikers of California's Big Sur. For the last 300 years, locals and tourists alike have told chilling tales of the Dark Watchers, these massive specters that can make a person disappear with just a glance. The Santa Lucia Mountains are a marvel to behold. But as the mountains rise into California skies, with an endless ocean before them, Shadowy figures sometimes materialize on the afternoon horizon above them. The Dark Watchers, known to the 18th century Spanish settlers as Los Viglantes oscuros or the Dark Watchers. These fearless silhouettes appear like witches with brimmed hats and walking sticks in hand. Oral tales across generations warn that approaching these specters could result in one's disappearance. Though modern science has suggested that the Dark Watchers might simply be the result of a hallucination, the phenomenon is no less mystifying or terrifying. Early days of the Dark Watchers. Tales of the Dark Watchers are often attached to the Kumash people of California, the Shumas, but apparently these indigenous Americans don't actually have anything quite like these specters in their folklore according to the accounts of spanish settlers however who recorded the massive beings in the 1700s the creatures towered over mere mortals at 10 feet tall and appeared to be draped in cloaks and donned large wide-brimmed hats atop their heads folklore warns that while the dark watchers make it their mission to sternly observe those in the mountains below. It is the wisest to turn away, as those who dared to approach these figures vanished into oblivion. Unfortunately, tales of the Dark Watchers are about as vague as the shapes themselves, but 20th century authors like John Steinbeck added their own mythos around the phenomenon. Like many other California writers, Steinbeck grew up on the stories of the Dark Watchers, his own mother told him how she would bring food to the mountains as an offering to the creatures, only to later see flowers in their place. Other writers, like Central California poet Robertson Jeffers, also added to the legend of the Dark Watchers through his own imaginings. Jeffers described the Dark Watchers as forms that look human to human eyes, but certainly are not human. He noted that they come from behind ridges to watch and are known to emerge from the quiet twilight before they melted into the shadows. Now, can science explain this phenomenon? While there is no physical evidence to prove that these figures are anything more than visual anomalies, many people have snapped intriguing photos of them. From these photographs, some scientists have tried to determine what it is that people think they have actually seen. One such theories of those is that the Dark Watchers are simply the result of pareidolia, a psychological phenomenon during which human brains seek out recognizable or familiar patterns and shapes and an otherwise alien or unclear image. The phenomenon is known to German locals as the Har's Mountains, as the Broken Spectre, named after the regional Broken Peak. The phenomenon sees an observer's magnified shadow plastered across the clouds. The mist, meanwhile, amplifies the shadow's size before it evaporates. Of course, many encounters with the Dark Watchers might also just be the shadows of swaying trees. Curiously, these purported beings are always encountered at high altitudes, where oxygen supplied to the brain is hampered. Could the dark watchers simply be a hallucination or a widespread misconception about the nuanced world that we live in? Like faces on the moon or the Virgin Mary on toast, people can often look for humanity in everything. Or perhaps one day, a team of experts will venture to the Santa Lucia Mountains, and returned with irrefutable evidence that the Dark Watchers are, in fact, real, shadowy creatures and want to remain in peace. Ghosts, aliens, I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. And now, a creepy ass story I'm going to share with you about the ghost of Screaming Jenny, which is without a doubt one of the most horrific local lore dealings with a tortured spirit delivering a dark omen.
2: This story is called Woman on Fire from my newest release Haunted Enough, Terrifying Tales to Tell Your Friends. The old storage sheds along the tracks were abandoned shortly after the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad was built. It wasn't long before the poor residents of the area moved in. The sheds provided a shelter of sort, although the winter wind still pierced through every crevice. Small fireplaces that were constructed did little to keep the cold at bay. A local woman named Jenny lived there alone in one of the smaller sheds. She had fallen on hard times and with no family to protect her she was to force to find work where she could and take whatever shelter was available to someone with no money. Jenny never had enough to eat and during the winter her tiny fire barely kept her going during the cold months. Jenny still kept her spirits up and appointed herself as a protector to those around her. She would help other folks when they got sick or needed food, sometimes going without food herself so that others could eat. One cold evening, Jinny sat shivering over her fire, drinking broth out of a wooden bowl, when a rough and rogue ember from the fire flew from that and lit her blankets on fire. Intent on filling her aching stomach, Jenny was so weak and tired that she didn't notice her flaming blankets until the fire had burned through the heavy wool of her coat and began to scorch her skin. Jumping up in terror, Jenny threw her broth over the licking flames, but the fluid did nothing to house the fire itself. In terror, Jenny fled from the shack and ran along the train tracks screaming for help as the flames engulfed her body the train station was not far from her and instinctively jenny made a run for it she was hoping to find someone anyone to help her within moments her body was a glowing inferno and jenny was overwhelmed with pain her screams grew more horrible as her steps slowed She staggered blindly onto the tracks just west of the station. She had become a ball of fire that barely looked human. In her agony, she did not see the glowing lights of the train coming around the curve. Or hear the screech of the brakes as the engineer spotted her fire-eaten figure and tried to stop. A moment later, her terrible screams broke off as the train mowed her down. Alerted by the whistle, the crew from the station came running as the engineer halted the train and ran back down the tracks towards poor Jenny, who was still burning and strewn about in many pieces. The men doused the fire and attempted to carry her away, but there was so much of her scattered that it could no longer be classified as a human body. There was no hope for her. She was destitute and dead with nothing to leave behind and no one to claim her. A few days later, a few local people and the crew from the train station pitched in and were able to give her remains, a pauper's funeral. Jenny was buried in an unmarked grave at the local churchyard. Within a few days, another poverty-stricken family had moved into her shack, and soon Jenny was forgotten. Forgotten, that is, until a year later, when a train rounding the same bend west of the station was confronted by a screaming ball of fire. It was too late to stop. The young engineer, who had only one week on the job, plowed over the glowing figure before he could bring the train to a screeching halt. Leaping from the engine, he ran back down the tracks to search for a mangled burning body. But there was nothing there. Shaken, he brought his train into the station and reported the incident to the station master. After hearing his tale, the station master remembered Jenny and realized that her spirit had returned to haunt the tracks where she had met her fate. To this day, the Phantom of Jenny still appears on the tracks on the anniversary of the day she died many engineers have rounded the curve just west of the station and found themselves face to face with the burning ghost of Screaming Jenny as she makes her deadly run towards the Harper's Ferry station, seeking in vain for someone to save her.
0: Well everyone, that's all I have for this week. From omens of unforetold doom or promise of Something in the afterlife, to banshees, to Mothman encounters, to the Dark Watchers. These sightings, these strange anomalies, these encounters, what are they trying to tell us? Or have they already told us something and we just haven't discovered it yet? One day we will fully understand these strange happenings, these paranormal encounters. But until then, I'll just keep talking about it and hope you enjoy. Thank you, and have a great weekend. I'm Neil Parks, your host for Paranormally Speaking. See you next time.